as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. We're here for another retro TV dive, and here we got Carl Kafer of Deviant Legion Network and Incredibly Strange Films group on Facebook. How are you? <laughs> well, thank you very much, Cameron, for having me on. I really appreciate this. Uh, get Sorry for the confusion. Uh, Work was crazy. <laughs> hey, listen, I understand that completely. I, uh, you know, it's just nice to have a chance to talk about one of my favorite uh cult tv shows so i'm glad to be here totally and it, it was interesting how I, I i do a lot of cult tv stuff on here that i know has some kind of firefly worthy <laughs> audience and is, it was interesting because this one is like i always would see at least one person stand out in the group was like oh i'm totally being on that one <laughs> it, it was interesting because it's like this when was when was the show ever syndicated? But it was just, it's just kind of this kind of big of a show. It's just like someone, someone recalls seeing it somewhere and that it was a big thing. So long story short, it's kind of a steampunk, uh, unusual Western. And according to the special features was playing on lead star, Bruce Campbell's evil dead persona while also co-written by Jeb Stewart of the Indiana Jones movies. So. Right, and 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 uh, also Jeffrey Baum and Carlton Cuse. Yes, future future huge TV creators. And uh, do you have the DVD of this by any chance? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, yes, I do. So much fun. Oh, um, absolutely. Uh, so, did you see this when it was actually on Fox TV and it premiered? I knew of it, and I saw one or two episodes, and. Unfortunately, that was the night that I was basically other engaged at work or, or doing some other things. So I didn't get a chance to see the whole thing, but I liked it so much that when the DVD set came out, it was like an immediate purchase. I didn't even have to think. So neat. Yeah. Uh, I had always heard about it, uh, but it was one of those where, you know, I just, uh, it wasn't on people forget it wasn't on dvd or even vhs for the longest time so it's just like it just i heard about it and i my uncle knew about it but bruce campbell was pretty much mainly just known for you know 
if it wasn't Evil Dead, then it was also just, you know, appearing in other stuff Sam Raimi worked on. Hercules, Spider-Man, Darkman, you know, and, and just his various TV guest spots. He's in a great two-part episode of Homicide. He's was on Ellen briefly, for God's sakes, you know, so he 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 just was always constantly just hopping up. But yeah, this was kind of the second part of his whole fan base, and it's interesting how there were people who videotaped it back in the day and or saw YouTube clips and know about it to some extent. But yeah, I, I caught up on it a few years back and just watched, uh, saw, saw the DVDs and I was like, yeah, this is totally my cup of tea. I, I totally understand why this has been a big cult item for so long. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, is, uh, I think the DVD special features summed it up perfectly. It just was one of those, just, they did not advertise it all that well. And there's a lot of even people who uh, just start off on this and just go on to do a, are constantly working on other huge, huge CBS and Fox shows. But it is kind of funny how uh, basic, if you look at the writer's room panel it, and they say what all of them later worked on, it's like, it's like Carlton Coos totally makes sense how he worked on other stuff like Martial Law, Nash Bridges, and Lost of all things. And it's like, yeah, it totally makes sense to me because he he knew how to organize and have an unusual just kind of gimmick and and really allow everyone the freedom, let alone the filmmakers, the ability to even bring this stuff to life. Like they they mentioned how it's like we didn't know how much time and money they were going to spend on doing the various quicksand traps and <laughs> horse racing. <laughs> well, the beauty of the show to me is the sense that it's a Western and, and yet it has all this fantasy and fantasy science yeah. fiction. And then of course you get into the cast and it's not just Bruce Campbell, you know, it's everybody involved. You could tell they were having a blast. Cause yeah, they're, it's basically it's as nutty as a comic book strip but it's also a live action cartoon and it just helps like you say that all these actors are used to working on movies of various quality and since they're told to be camp that's what they're going for and the the gags are never over long or just too cute for their own good and it's always just I think it helped that Cuse, I mean, especially on Nash Bridges, he always goes for this kind of cue where it's like, okay, so you're going to have this kind of nutty thing happening for this character. How are you going to make that be interesting? And then the secondary plot, how are you going to make that be interesting? Right. And one, of the, one of the things about this show, and, and I think both Cuse and Boehm are, are uh, responsible for it, is that it's just under over the top and they really actually is. use that that phrase it's just under over the top so that it doesn't become too silly but it's just there that you can just pick it out and say okay i kind of believe this and it, and it works really well they they have that down as far as the series is concerned that, <laughs> right that, yeah and what what a cast you got the horny secretary, oh Andrea Parker, who's later on The Pretender. You got MC Ganey. Who, uh, no, I, I mean, the cast is, is, is just phenomenal. Harley uh, Irby is the main character's uh, dad. And yeah, this is like, 
Billy Drago, he's a B movie. Oh, oh my god, there. Billy Drago in this is just like, oh my god, Probably I no loved him. From Untouchables, uh, but it was really interesting. I knew John Piter Ferguson was on this, but I only knew him as just kind of a character actor who had been on a bunch of stuff like Battlestar and uh, Galactica, and and I love his character in this too, as Hutter. He's just he's, he's one he's of the more silly characters, beings. but you just yeah. love him. Yeah, and. Yeah, you look at him later. I mean, he had huge roles on. Uh, he'd been on Unforgiven like the year before, but yeah, he later had big roles on Last Ship and Suits. Just um, but like, but it's like this Canadian guy, or was he Canadian or was he Australian? Was I think he was Australian. Australian. I'm not positive of that. I'd have to okay, look. He was born in Australia. But God, I could have sworn he was Canadian, but yeah, no. I mean, like you say, he's just an unusual, just kind of. Uh, just wacky villain where you're just like i want to know more about him i wouldn't mind just an episode just on him and yeah uh julius curry was kind of a go-to character actor who had been in a lot of just guest starring a lot of sick uh, i i love him as lord bullock i i i think the, the um camaraderie and the, the uh between him and campbell first as antagonists and then as partners it's just really good Absolutely. And they work out really well. I'm also a huge fan of Christian Clemens. And, and yes, later won an Emmy for his unusual lawyer role on Boston Legal. But yeah, just a great, great, great character actor who I just, I mean, this is probably his other really big right. role. I mean, he's been on other stuff like Turn and American Crime Story. And, but it was like here, uh, I mean, uh, this and even his kind of straight face roles on a few, some of the other shows is like uh, here, this and Boston legal were just as nutty as he was ever allowed to be. And I think that's why he just prospered the most in these roles. Cause he well, just, well, actually this world for him, he was the one sane person. He's sane, but then he would sometimes lose his shit. Is kind of yeah. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's the straight face, but only to a point, like sometimes Briscoe drives him crazy, and he's like, I, I, I just want to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes he's the equivalent of Leroy Jenkins, video game reference for everyone. <laughs> he oh, is okay. goofing it up for everybody, and other times he, you know, he's supposed to be rescuing Briscoe and other times, and this is like, wow, really? He's going to rescue Briscoe? <laughs> well, well, I, I, I tell you, we haven't mentioned one cast member, and being – uh, somewhat older, I remember this gentleman on the Adams family, and I fell in love with him. And I, John Aston, just yes, just elevates this show, whatever he's on. He he really, uh, I mean, the show's already pretty respectable production and everything, but I mean, they they kind it could have just been just silly and lowbrow, like say. Knight Rider or the A-Team, but it goes even beyond that and actually just kind of decides to just become a really just put the E in escapism. And right. it, That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Another thing uh, I, I think is this sense of tone that I was talking about uh, because it harkens back to another show that I grew up with, which is the Wild Wild West. Yes. Which, which, which very, very much is the predecessor to this to this series um you know uh i can't think of the one gentleman's name but it was robert conrad uh and and of course the main villain on that one was uh 
let's just say a diminutive actor for today's, uh, <laughs> a diminutive actor. And, and uh, just a wonderful, I remember seeing that as a kid and just saying, I love this because it's just so odd. It just, and then I saw this and it was like, oh my God, the Wild West, Wild Wild West still lives in somebody's mind. And, and I thought that was great. <laughs> it definitely did kind of, I mean, they, could, they definitely didn't write them into a corner like some of the crime or sci-fi shows. They really kind of just took full advantage. It's like, hey, this is a Western, but it's our kind of Western. You're, you're going to have some time portal or some wacky mad scientist. I love how when they, the episode where that's on the motorcycle, it's clearly by today's standard, but they change it up enough and they remind you, it's like, hey, you know, anything can wacky can kind of happen on this show. And at the end, someone is either going to like, like they also, with whatever time loop or travel they go in here, it never goes to where it could easily backfire as a bad version of Back to the Future. It's never... Oh man, you lost me there. You know, <laughs> yeah, it definitely was kind of the same kind of Star Trek kind of reservedness. Is like okay, but by the end of this, unless it's a two-parter, this is going to wrap up in forty minutes. You know, where yeah. it, it's got to be fun. It can't lose. The minute we lose the viewer, the show stops being fun. So we're we're going to remind them, hey, here's how we're going to have fun. Someone's going to, you know, Curry's character is definitely going to be. Uh, symbolizing what the audience is thinking like this is some kind of baloney here <laughs> um well, well you know one of the nice thing about julius carey in that uh being a black actor uh one thing is is i remember reading an article from bohm uh interview that um there were he he would he realized very quickly and and understood that there were black cowboys number one but what i find it amazing is that his his uh race and ethnicity is never mentioned it's just yeah it's, it's just taken as as okay and i think that's i think that's a wonderful thing for a series to do and it does say something for fiction to be able to be that kind of groundbreaking when i mean you're having all kind of other kinds of stuff on there and it does make you want to even look at yeah actual history is like how many uh, real incidences happen that way, you know, <laughs> it's like in a fantasy world versus in the real world. And uh, he's really good at, you know, his character really does have a lot of heart and soul to him. He has some principles and a code of honor and, and it does say a lot because basically they're all from some kind of merc, you know, adventurer life. Right. And it, it's really interesting to seeing, you know, how, you know, Ash kind of was played up as over the top kind of a, in a red knight back in the woods kind of world. And as a contrast, you know, Briscoe is more of a, just making fun of the brave, but, you know, easily beat up hero. And yeah, Curry is never, he never, his character was never played up as just an excuse to, you know, be kind of just profanity Latin or just a stereotype. I'm from the hood, you know, he's, no, no, he's basically, uh, we're all taking what we can get and um it also helps that these towns is like when they're building a world i mean you see all the other kinds of wacky western movies that were being made around the same time for either in theaters or the home video market and how 
you know, this kind of has this the best elements of all of those as well as comic book or steampunk uh, manga. And uh, it, it really does give you an idea that is like, okay, so uh, this is a, a bunch of these societies are just so just out in the middle of nowhere. as like, I can fathom that someone might have created something in, you know, it was never discovered. It was lost to the age of time. <laughs> well, the, again, what, what I really like about the show is, is the interaction between the, the characters. And, and I do want to bring up two other characters we've not mentioned. Uh, one is Dixie Cousins, who was played by Kelly Rutherford. And, she's uh, great. She's mainly done a lot of soap operas and other teen stuff since. But yeah, she's been a ongoing TV actress. And she had... Like you say, she had the right amount of just is like just because I'm almost a madam equivalent doesn't mean you know I'm <laughs> that's who only who I am and All right. I don't well, want to well, be. One of the things that I read about Kelly that I really liked was uh, there was an interview where she admitted that she loved this character because it gave her a chance to be Madeline Kahn. Yeah, she, it, it's really played up for shits and giggles. It's really a lot of fun, and it, and she's always playing up as like, uh, it just like Briscoe. You don't have to save me, buddy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and there's one other character we have not mentioned, which we have to. Oh, we have to. And and, and uh, this character was played by five different actors, and they were all horses. <laughs> They and I'm not saying horses horse. ass, okay? They were all uh, uh, horses. Uh, <laughs> and do, that would be Comet. Yeah, the, the horse, it, they make so much fun of that. You know, my trusted steed. <laughs> and of course, that goes way, way back to Roy Rogers and Trigger and all this. Uh, Ed the horse. <laughs> I almost expected him to speak in one, you know, uh, hallucination at some point, but no, they didn't even, they didn't need to go that far for just... No, they didn't. All he had to do was harumph. They had a, they had a specific horse that could move its mouth, and that they had another one that, that responded to Comet. They had another one that was good at, 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 at galloping, and they had another one that did this, and another one that did that, and you could never tell they were no, different horses. same kind of breed, but yeah, it was like, and I mean, that's just, that's how business, uh, the business is run, guys. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, you're going to need various stand-ins or stunt doubles. And yeah, I mean, there's some excellent stunts, both for the horses and just the pyrotechnic side. I mean, and, Oh, and, and, and of course, the fights and that sort of thing. Did you know that, I, I forget the, the organization, but uh, while it was being shown on Fox, there was actually an organization that that picketed it because it became the most violent show on TV. For real? For real. I'm not I joking. I thought that was Walker, Texas Ranger, but oh well, <laughs> I guess everything's violent. But everything point. was, see, the thing is, all the violence was played for comedic effect. But they okay? didn't get it. <laughs> and they didn't get it. It's like, like there was a, a scene, I think, in the, uh, in the pilot, which was a two-hour show. Yeah, uh, where where big, four big. gunmen uh, basically shoot each other at the same time. 
which is an old gag that goes way, way, way back. We're to, talking Looney Tunes era, yeah. Yeah, yeah, even way back before that. And 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 uh, you <laughs> know, they're saying, "Oh my gag. God, it's violent!" It's like, get it, you know. I mean, just kill out, please. Even the giant lair and everyone all tied up. I mean, it's never brutal or gory or anything, or huh. with drills about to hit people. It's it's funny, but yeah, it's like. Everything had to be a target of something. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, and they didn't know how to combat it back then. Usually that was, uh, what's ironic is as soon as a youth group talked about it, then it just only encouraged kids to just go over to their friend's house and, you know, sneak. Oh, absolutely. So it is absolutely. kind of funny how everything was basically deemed as taboo and you had to just slowly cut through the, <laughs> the iron a bit. <laughs> no, um, but, but to me, the the heart of that show was Bruce Campbell and 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 uh and he complimented everybody else he never acted like he had to be in every single frame you know it wasn't oh, no. Shatner or Caruso level it was never you know this is my show now <laughs> it is like and just seeing him here just talk about it in his various books and at conventions I guarantee you he always has to sign at least some merchandise you know <laughs> uh. Uh, they definitely put it on the flyers, you know, Bruce Campbell from, you know, <laughs> Randy's yeah. movies and Briscoe. And it, it showed how good he could be in just anything. Like, I've seen all the movies he hasn't worked on with Raimi or the Coen brothers, and he really has always just held his own. And uh, fun fact, uh, Brian Spicer, uh, who directed the pilot and one other key episode later in the season, I think maybe even another one later on, uh, you know, he went on to do so many other big giant shows, everything, you name it. Um, in Plain Sight, Hunt, he'd already done Hunter. He was like the reshoots director. <laughs> um, Hawaii Five-0 and 24. And he had a good sense of just knowing how to time gags and uh, have shots match up with the second unit and other action-oriented kind of gags. So it all makes sense how this was a big highlight for him. But yeah, he later worked on the McHell's Navy movie with Bruce. <laughs> so, there you go. There's connection. Um, uh, I'm actually really surprised some of these guys didn't end up working on just later stuff with Campbell. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny. Sometimes it's scheduling and sometimes it's just... Wasn't meant to be. You know, happenstance, <laughs> you know, that, that it all works well. And the thing about this, this series is it just... You watch it even today, 20, 30 years down the line, and it still holds up. It just, I mean, there, there's just so much. Heroes and Icons should play reruns of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And, and, and it's so much fun. And, and, and um, this and The Sentinel, I think, are tied for just most 90s adventure kind of show. <laughs> Is like there's a huge fan base for it, but most everyone else was just watching some of the other big franchise or edgy stuff, and that's fine, it can all be enjoyed. But is like this show, I mean, we're talking all these other shows like Wagon Train, and uh, you're talking Wild Wild West, and how Richard Dean Anderson kind of did a MacGyver version of that called Legend that briefly and much like Briscoe, it didn't last as long, it was two years later on UPN, but yeah, UPN, I feel like basically. Uh, they basically took anything that it made sense that they 
later became part of the CW, but it's like they were pretty much taking anything that would have probably been at NBC or Fox, and they just. But uh, I feel like this show is kind of an unofficial template for a lot of fun uh, filmmakers who work on the small screen. Yeah, I agree. Let alone even maybe just some of the westerns that came out throughout the '90s that were just kind of. I mean, you had wacky stuff like uh, stupid stuff like Lightning Jack, and then you had kind of serious yet creative movies like posse you know it's like i feel like this one in many ways is kind of just it's an unofficial hero of uh small screen westerns and i mean even the theme song itself just those tiles and everything that's well, just well, kind of let's a, let's talk about that because i'm a musician okay yeah and and, and randy edelman's uh theme is just so wonderful that he's a scene. very underappreciated composer i mean this is the guy who did other stuff like last of the mohicans and you know he yeah yeah and 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 it's such a wonderful score um and and done and done so well and it it harkens back to things like um uh high chaparral and 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 um uh the magnificent seven yes Especially those trumpets. Oh yeah, the trumpets particularly, and 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 you know, and it just you know the the nice thing I always like about this show is it harkens back to so many things that I watched or I I knew of when I was a kid, and 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 it was very gently done. Like if you didn't get it, it was still very entertaining. But for everyone else who got it, they, they liked it even more because it was a homage done with heart and yet its own original characters and yeah. storyline. Very true. Very true. They, and, they really and, don't get too cute for their own good. Like usually no story really even ends the way you think it, it will. Um, it's never really even relying on just doing the billions, you know, high noon type showdown the, the Blackbeard Pirates one was a highlight for sure. We're big Andrew Devoff fans. <laughs> Later went on to be the title villain. Well, well you know, like, like, like the pirate episode. You know, how are you going to do a pirate episode, okay? So, right? so In the West. You know, they actually envisioned <laughs> a large boat on a trailer being drawn by horses. Well, they couldn't do that because of the budget. Right. So what did they do? Stagecoach. Right, and, and and they 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 took that original vision, um, scaled it down, but still made it very unique visually, and just because of the visuals and that, it was just kind of silly and fun, and that, they did that all the time. I mean, and it's really one, consistent with its tone. It never gets too gritty or too silly for its own good. It really does contain it really so well without. Like you say, just making you say, okay, that's that ended way too safe, or that that just got two bananas for me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, again, that's that's the whole point of of what they were trying to do with uh, with just under over the top. They that was something that they absolutely uh, 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 nailed throughout the series. Another thing too that we hadn't mentioned. Is, is, is this sense of the coming thing, which is big in that show. Because the yeah, one thing we always about, get a sense of danger lurking. Well, it's not only that, but, but Briscoe's always saying that, that, you know, this is set in 1893, 
which, by the way, was 100 years previous to when it premiered. <laughs> Pretty meta. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, no, that was designed. That was designed. And, and the idea is that Briscoe is a 20th century man in the 19th century. And he go. sees things that are going to happen that, that, that nobody has thought of yet. And that's where, of course, Professor Rickmeyer comes in. Because he's the only it is one. pretty surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Especially so, with the so, hot air balloon. Yeah, the, the hot air balloon. The, yeah. You know, so, so, uh, the, the, the diving uh, suit. Oh, and, and it does make you wonder, you know, it's like, just like with how much stuff in scriptures were lost during the Middle Ages, you know, how much technology could have been tested out, but yeah. just had no way of coming to fruition during the Wild West era. You know, and, and, and so there's all that too, and, and I love that. Now, now, I don't know if I would call it steampunk. I guess you would in terms of how you look at today, but to me, growing up with Wild Wild West and in this show, it was much more fantasy. Oh, it but definitely it was, is, and steampunk definitely go, blend, blurs the line between sci-fi and uh, fantasy. fantasy, but it, it just kind of just for lack of a better phrasing, just showing modern day uh, mechanics in a, you know, a more ancient society. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, no. I, I really like some of the other just kind of just, even just their various guest appearances. Uh, there's even a mock legal trial that just ends just so unusually. And uh, it, it really is kind of interesting how, I mean, just the writers are able to use every kind of dilemma that makes any kind of script work, and they're able to kind of compress it together into a, a just the, the, they'll often uh, use that as a sign that they, you know, a character should kind of be elevated or have some other unusual kind of challenge. <laughs> right. And it is always funny how is like, yeah, sometimes Briscoe gets a little too comfortable. He, he'll pretend to be somebody he isn't. Or uh, there was like some other one that was kind of set on a boat or something that had a bunch of powerful elites who were very shady. And I thought that was kind of funny, just showing how it was like all these guys who got magnificently rich overnight, uh, you know, are very deterred by Briscoe and company. <laughs> Do you remember that one? It's like they were kind of, uh, they were kind of finding out that Bruce was kind of an imposter. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the one? And it was kind of just, uh, I mean, pretty much everybody just kind of reads between each other's lines and, and it never got too predictable anything or formulaic, I would even say. And it's like, well, well, part of that, I think, is because. The way that that Briscoe Towney Jr. is designed in the script and throughout the series is he's not one to use violence. So he's got to yeah. use his brain. And he's yeah. smart. So he's able to talk him out of it. It's it's it harkens back a little bit to Blazing Saddles. I think that's a very good contrast, especially during the haunted motel, which is just so hysterical, just making fun of every Ten Little Indians. Oh, absolutely, and absolutely. Just the way they even solve it is like, I, I mean, it's outrageous. You know, but it, again, that that's one of the things that I love about the show is 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 that 
it it has the tropes, but it plays with them more than enough to make the tropes different than what you expect. It really does enlighten them, and it never just got to the point of just like, okay, move the plot along, guys. You just really overplotted it, or you uh, made it to where everybody is at. I mean, that's just it. Like you say, all the actors are very on game and the crew know what kind of a show they're doing. It's like, we got to make it look like some kind of West place that's not just a very restricted uh, film set. And um, every all the shots really are pretty gorgeous here on, on you know, for a you know, small just, scale Just production. talking about the production design, uh, it was the last series or film that was staged on the Western Batwell, uh, known as Laramie Street. Oh, and, really? Okay. Yeah. And then they shot, they shot in Valencia and Bronson Canyon. Valencia, and, definitely. In the Belouz Ranch in Santa Clarita. What about Van Noyes? What, what noise? Van Noyes. Did they? Oh, make? Van Noyes. Nice. Van Noyes. Did they film there? Uh, doesn't say. I'm looking right. right now. <laughs> I would mispronounce it. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. Bad noise. What? What bad noise? There's not a van going. <laughs> I'm house. surprised there wasn't a van at some point <laughs> on the show with all the. <laughs> well, I'm sure it was. Uh, it was there, but it was never filmed. It was back in the back lot. I mean, <laughs> even just with the episode where Briscoe is on top of an actual rocket. I mean, the rocket had some pretty good design to it. You know it's a prop, but you also know that it's not restricted by by its budget even terribly. Is like they they give every one of these objects or scenarios their own kind of character. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do, and and, and that that's the uh, that's the genius of the production design, right? Seriously, and they, I never I never felt like any design didn't feel out of place with the other or any character made a decision that didn't make sense with what happened in a previous episode. You know, they, everyone was pretty consistent. It was like, they, it's like, it's, I mean, we keep harkening back to Indiana Jones, but it does kind of harken back to that. It's like, here's the next adventure and here's the next kind of thing. And yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, they, they, they did the, what was, which one was it? Temple of Doom, I think. Oh, definitely, especially for the pilot. That is so many shades yeah. of that. But I mean, oh, absolutely. That's why they got the, the show in the first place, right? I mean, no. pe people don't seem to understand now. Is like they like to accuse everything of being a ripoff or a knockoff, and it's like, well, that's how anything gets funded. You have to promote it as being similar to this kind of popular movie or show, and that's how you get investors and a budget. And and it's like, it, I mean, it's unmistakable just even with the font of the credits is like, yeah, it's pretty indie with those orange, uh, uh, italic, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, they do some pretty good recaps is like nowadays they'll do recaps and sometimes on a show, it'll just make it even more confusing. It's <laughs> like, what? And, and I might as well just missed it all. Cause I still don't get it. And the recaps for this, that they do midway through the seasons are pretty good. And, looking back at those even as a contrast to today's TV. And uh, I think you pretty much have summed it up and hit the nail on the head is like just so much care put into just a very fun product. And uh, so what, what do you predict about 
the continuation that Bruce Campbell uh, teased about a year and a half ago or so? Uh, I'll do an I, I won't event. say anything about it until I see it. All right. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, if they do it, I will say this: they will miss. Uh, uh, they'll miss Carrie a lot. They'll miss. They'll miss Julius Carey a lot. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting how they fill that hole because unfortunately he died rather young. Yeah, pancreatic cancer, and he has some great interviews on the DVD. And uh, I, I'm sure. I think it can actually really happen. It isn't going to be like, oh, let's do a continuation of Galaxy Quest, and then oh, it's not going to happen because you know Alan Rickman passed away. And it's like, yeah, I think. Uh, I can see Hulu carrying it because, you know, they're co-owned by Fox and Universal. And that's totally the kind of audience they would be looking for. I can't see this doing well at all on Netflix because just not enough people know about it. (laughs) Netflix is so keen on just carrying. Well, I I tell you what, I do think it's got a rather vocal cult. The cult itself might be small, but if they rebroadcast it and really push it, uh it could grow very quickly they briefly were having episodes available to stream on imdb tv and then they vanished so yeah no i mean definitely the dvd sales for this i think were pretty huge i mean just trying to get obtain a copy was very expensive <laughs> oh yeah yeah so, I, I remember pre-ordering that i, I think, saw that and it's like that that's a no-brainer i think many aunts and uncles and parents have been very good at introducing their kids to it and uh, i mean bruce campbell was just pretty easy to seek out i think it helped that he's just always been in something you know he's always been appearing in just some cult movies like bubba hotep or burn notice absolutely absolutely so people were always wanting to go back you know you do that with any actor you go back through the resume and look at an earlier work but it's like with him i mean he you know embracing so He's mainly just the horror movie guy, but he's also in all these action and comedy and even Well, he's, he's very unique. Uh, and, and the cult of Bruce Campbell is huge. Yeah, it, everything from know, the chin to his just way of speaking is just... <laughs> you know, you know uh, uh, his autobiography, uh, this books, chin, yeah. Could, yeah, chin Could Talk, I think it w- w- is what it was called. Uh, that was that was a fun read, and he loved this this show. He, oh yeah, he so absolutely sure loved being on. Helped out a bit at petitioning it. I mean, the interviews of themselves they talk about his website, and that was from '06. So it's like, yeah, he was embracing the earliest days of the internet for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great it's a great series, and I urge everyone that's listening. To give this one a shot because you want to be entertained, you will be entertained, you will laugh, you will sort of scratch your head once in a while, but be intrigued and and just it's it's such a unique uh, uh, tone to it, and I can't stress that enough that they really made this this very consistent throughout the series that the tone is not over over the top but it's just there it's like walking the line and then it comes back and it has the western tropes it has the steampunk you know uh, addition to it and so much care but put into it as we've just said time and again it's just it's 
and it's just very organized with its vision. It doesn't take forever to get going, you know, Oh, wait, wait for it to get good by season one. And Oh, it's done. It's like, and it doesn't leave you on a cliffhanger and it doesn't uh, just make you just, uh, uh, you know, there, there's plenty of other episodes that might be, I wouldn't say filler, but just go in a different direction, but they're not awful. And, you know, no, not at all. You know, uh, I like to call those placeholder episodes. Oh, totally. It's like, here's, a, yeah, here's a, a benchmark. Here's a, <laughs> you, you know, a but the thing place. is, each episode has something in it that, 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 that makes it so fun. And there's so many references to, to uh, uh, Western comedy, too. If you like, yeah. you know, the James Garner gunfighter movies. If you like, like uh, 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 Maverick, if you like any of you're going to love this. Gunsmoke, anything. Yeah. There's all kinds of uh, Western tropes that they play upon. And there's like plenty of Briscoe convincing the talent, uh, you know, the drunk sheriff to be a man and defeat the town bully. But they even go even more like, even if you do not like Westerns and consider them overrated, you will like the show because again, the adventure element, the fantasy element, the Indian Jones aspect, that will get you. And just, well, again, as Carl has pinpointed, is like the comedy really wasn't unusual, but just very welcome uh, part of this whole thing that made it work. Because it, yeah, I mean, they would, again, yeah, they'd have a few inside jokes, like here's free homages, and then here's free, very well done one-liners, you know, at the beginning and at the end. And then there's all other kind of tropes that work for the character development. Briscoe learns how to dance, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the madam uh, learns how to, uh, uh, you know, uh, pair, prepare a party. <laughs> you know, Curry's character, it just really was also good as like, oh, I get to lead a mission this time. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. I'm used yeah. to saddling along and going along for the ride. And yeah, they, they would do all other sorts of things like how to create an unusual dynamite bomb and how to rescue uh just some other person who didn't want to be rescued you know <laughs> there's so many others absolutely absolutely it, just, a joke is only as good as just the effort put into it but also just getting there is like if there's other just little funny things along there's like okay i gotta stay up and see how this happens how this concludes Right, and, and and again, unfortunately, I'm going to have to leave here very quickly. But yeah, but uh, I, it's the interplay between the actors too, because because when you care about any series or any movie, you know, usually you connect to the character, to regardless character. of the staging or how a scene plays on or the lighting and the camera work. Yeah, I mean, they, everybody really was down for the count and. Uh, no one had any other commitment. This was make it or break it, and they really made it. And unfortunately, the ratings didn't come in the way they wanted. But hey, that was Fox's bad, not theirs. So, well, Fox, Fox basically has screwed up so many series. We're not even going to go there. Personally. I'm even going to say this is more Firefly than Firefly. This is such a mystical gem that it should yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny necklace. if you if you ever do a show on Dollhouse. I'll come in on that one in a heartbeat. By the way, <laughs> might have to, might have to do uh, something because I, uh, you know, I mean, I like Firefly, but nah, give me Dollhouse anyway. 
<laughs> there you go. So where can we find you on the interwebs before you take off? Okay, so so um, Deviant Legion has a, uh, 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 a Facebook page. You can also find us on blogtalkradio.com. Uh, and uh, you can see me all over the, the, the pages of uh, uh, post of Incredibly Strange Films, uh, which is a uh, uh, Facebook group that I co-admin. And basically at this point, I'm just focusing on the podcast end of it. Um, nice. If you, if you uh, like podcasts like tomorrow, just to give you an idea, uh, we have filmmaker um, Scooter McRae. Uh, who cool. directed a film called, um, um, oh, come on, Carl. Uh, now I lost it. This is what happens when you get in your 60s. Uh, uh, Shattered Dead. Uh, Shattered Dead, which is now being um, uh, released by Vinegar Syndrome in a new restoration. I thought it was 4K, and Scooter said that they didn't have enough money for 4K, so don't say that. <laughs> And, and also on that podcast, we're going to have uh, uh, filmmaker Joe Badon. Uh, Joe just uh, had his feature film, Sister Tempest, released uh, uh, throughout the festival circuit. And it's also going to be released next month on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, and he has uh, another film, uh, The Blood of Dinosaurs, which is making a short film, which is making the... Uh, the rounds so we're going to have both of them okay. on and then uh in about 15 minutes or 10 minutes i will be uh guessing on xb planus which is john killian's uh um podcast please uh, please look at <laughs> and and uh john uh john and i are going to do an overview of uh, the mike planican series that's on netflix Shit, yeah. midnight mass. Uh, which which of course is midnight mass and uh, at the end of that episode, uh, we're going to tease something else that we're planning. So, you know, I'm all over the place right now. So you can find <laughs> me and you can always find me on Facebook too. Just Google Carl Kafer. And, and yes, you, you pronounce it right at the beginning. I'm so pleased about that. Uh, and that, of course, is K-A-E-F-E-R and Carl with a K. Deviant there you Legion, go. everybody. Look him up. <laughs> Cameron, I want to thank you so much thank you you uh, you brought the hurt you really <laughs> summed up the how just adorable this oh this uh, adorable is. is a great word for it by the way <laughs> it really is i'm not being too cute for its own good uh, it's like the, this show i mean if someone were to even just do a special just get together it would sell out in a heartbeat there would be a bunch of people in town who'd be like i gotta see this <laughs> oh yeah absolutely absolutely Again, Cameron, thank you very much. I'm sorry to, to rush off, but uh, unfortunately, we're all booked these days. Book them up. This is spooky <laughs> season. Got to keep up with the spooky season. Spooky, spooky. Absolutely. <laughs> Again, thank you very much, and, and, and I'm welcome to come on any other time, and, and certainly we're going to get you on our podcast, too, and I'll be in touch. Okay, sweet. Okay. Well. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! 
the new podcast cure-all, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping absolutely. up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey, everybody. I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one-last plot holes and gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steve and Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com. Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I'm your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. 
Who Was She? will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author Wendy Heller and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Are you sick of the same old stale podcast? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. Hi there. It's Heather from the Watching Netflix Without You podcast. Did you know that there are over 1,200 Netflix original feature films and documentaries? And that number is only growing. So I've made it my mission to watch as many as I possibly can. Then, with a delightful guest or guests, disclaimer, more often than not my brother Ryan, we spend an episode rating, reviewing, and discussing a film at length. The first half of every episode is spoiler-free for those who haven't seen it yet. And in the second half, after a very clear spoiler warning, we dive into it. And that's really about it. 
You can listen to Watching Netflix Without You on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We now continue with our program. on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up-